the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Well, it's that time of year again. The time of year where From Software puts out a ne- another action RPG, and we're back to Dark Souls after being with Bloodborne. Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cap Bailey, and we're going to be doing our review of Dark Souls 3. And to do that, I have two Dark Souls experts with me. I've got US Gamer's reviewer, Bob Mackey. Hey, everybody. It's me. I like Souls games. You probably know that. And we've got Polygon's Phil Kohler, who, based on his review score, hates Dark Souls forever. <laughs> I, hate, I hate Dark Souls. I hate RPGs. I hate Japanese games. Um, Why do you hate Dark Souls fans? That's what I want to know. I hate Dark Souls fans personal, on a very personal okay. level. I'm glad you made that clear, because I, I, I had some inklings. Welcome to being the outlier, <laughs> Phil. Welcome to being the outlier. I, I like Phil's review, and I Thank actually... I, I thought about a lot of things he wrote in his review when I was when I was playing the game, because well, I got the game kind of late. Wait a minute, you sound way too amicable with one another. I need some blood on this <laughs> podcast. I'm sure uh, we will maybe have that'll come out later. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have points of disagreement. Uh, to to be clear, um, I actually am. I, I was very nervous about that review, uh, just in the sense of I know that Dark Souls fans can be very passionate. For whatever reason, the response actually wasn't that bad. Um, there were there were a few jerks as always. But uh, I don't know if it was because the game had already been out for a while in Japan, or if it was because, uh, I, I, I guess I don't know. I, I don't know if it was because I've reviewed all the previous ones, so people couldn't just say, like, oh, this guy just hates Dark Souls. Um, but the response wasn't, wasn't too bad. People were pretty hmm. reasonable about it, I guess. Having dissenting opinions on a video game is okay, people. It is okay to... Uh, I have a different take and not just line up with everybody else. And so. to be clear, for anybody who hasn't read my review over on Polygon.com, you can go check it out. But when when Kat says dissenting opinion, it, it was a seven. It wasn't like <laughs> I shit all over the game. Uh, it, well, it was... on the traditional game journalism scale, that is at the <laughs> bottom, Phil. It's It's near the bottom, certainly. All right, so before you get into the whole Dark Souls isn't an RPG thing, I don't oh care. Oh my god, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just putting out the disclaimer. I don't care. We can argue about this all day. We're going to talk about so Dark Souls. There's there are so many stats. There are so many stats. There's more and stats than most like turn-based RPGs. Also dungeon crawling. Yeah. And also, I think this game is kind of of interest to RPG fans, maybe just a little bit. It's making what you love really relevant uh, for some other people who might not be, you know, into some of the slower-paced RPGs. So you should be happy. Everyone gets to play something they like. Of course, Dark Souls needs no introduction. If you haven't been paying attention to Dark Souls, uh, well, I don't know where you've been over the past five years, but maybe it hasn't been playing video games, but it's an action RPG. You do dungeon crawling. It started with Demon Souls in 2009, I believe, and, but it really blew up with Dark Souls in 2011, and it has only got more popular since then. So we're now on Dark Souls 3. And the I, I've played some Dark Souls three. I have it on my PC right now. Um, I know Bob's been playing it on the PC, and Phil oh, yeah. was playing it on the PlayStation Four. I suppose we should start with a major issue that you were highlighting, Phil, in your review, 
You're saying that the PlayStation 4 version was having a lot of performance issues. Yeah, so uh, to be clear, I've actually played some of the PC version now as well. Um, I'm still playing through the PC version to update my review, and I have a copy of the Xbox One version that I haven't tested yet. Um, but yeah, the, the PlayStation 4 version, there were major, major frame rate issues. And I think everybody who has played the Souls games is kind of used to having a little bit of technical problems in them. Um, like, like for example, in Dark Souls, there is an area called Blight Town that was notoriously. You go to Blight Town; it's one of the. It's probably like the second or third major area you get to in the game, and the frame rate just plummets. Um, oh yeah, but it's pretty much for the most part in the first Dark Souls relegated to that area, um, and and for the most part in From's games, that's that's kind of how it's been. It's like one or two areas where something is just like, for whatever reason, something is messing up the frame rate. Um, the thing that was weird about my time with Dark Souls 3 on the PlayStation 4 is that uh, it was everywhere in the game and and for reasons that I couldn't figure out. Like, it wasn't... Like, it, it happened at very strange times where nothing would be going on and suddenly the frame rate would just slow to a crawl. Um, so it, it, it was a pretty serious problem. I'm hoping that it's just something weird that they're able to figure out and get patched very quickly um i know that there was a day one patch that we did have installed uh at the time that we reviewed it but i think there is already a a second patch that has come out launch week um that i haven't been able to test yet that may improve things yeah and, and this is not excusing the console versions problems but i think as with dark souls 2 and dark souls 1 the pc version is kind of like the definitive version the, the Absolutely. one that runs the best and it was kind of always going to be like that this is not me saying that pc is naturally better but i think like it's just been the case that the pc can do some certain things that even newer consoles can't so it's yeah. not surprising that once again the pc version is the uh you know you can play everything at 60 fps it looks gorgeous I'm playing it on a new gaming PC, and my jaw is hitting the floor as I reach every new area. So uh, from my perspective on the PC, it's just a gorgeous, like flawless-looking game with a great frame rate. But I can yeah, totally my, see my, how on a console it would be different. Yeah, and my experience with PC has been very, very positive as well. Um, I will say, I will throw in here as a disclaimer, um, it's worth digging up you know, just to see how other people are going and comparing your hardware to theirs, because... I have heard from some PC players, um, including Austin Walker over at Giant Bomb, I know, had a ton of tech problems with the PC version. Um, some some very serious issues with, like, crashing, um, like, repeatable um, bugs that they are running into. So, I did hear that, yeah. And yeah, the funny and I, thing I, is, I haven't um, been able to figure out if it's tied to a specific type of hardware or what the what the determining factor is. But for me, I, I've been having the same experience as you, Bob, where the PC wow. has been pristine, oh, okay. basically. Yeah, like I, I read a lot about PC bugs and I was just so worried because the Dark Souls 2 release had a lot of, uh, on the PC had a lot of bugs and some tied to like weapon durability and things like that. But uh, no crashes for me, no hitches, no drops in frame rate, no bugs. It's all been just running smooth. It could be I have the right video card, the right motherboard, the right CPU. Yeah. I don't know, but the stars align to give me a perfect Dark Souls 3 experience. So that that might have colored my review and made me a little more positive than I would have been otherwise. You you praised the sun at the right angle at the right time, <laughs> yes. and it, it smiled upon you. It's a very Dark Souls uh, strategy. Yeah. Well, as you said, Phil, Dark Souls has been like this for as long as I can really remember it. And I feel like a lot of people were willing to give the series kind of a pass back in the day, and maybe even 
they kind of found it found it charming because it wasn't the same, say, polished experience that a lot of games were. Because Dark Souls was kind of positioned at the outset as sort of anti AAA, I suppose. It was the it was the antithesis of that AAA experience. So people were like, "Yeah, so what is this janky? It doesn't have to be super polished." But I wonder if now that we're you know three and a half games in, if you want to count Bloodborne, if people aren't expecting it to you know be at least a little more polished, um, if only because I mean, From Software has been doing this for a little bit now. I would and- say I would say not only just that we're this many games in, um, and that they've been doing it for so long, but also. Also that it's it's increasingly difficult to call it anti-AAA in that way, just in the sense of, at this point, I think it's safe to say that it's a fairly big hit. Um, maybe you wouldn't go so far as to say mainstream, but it's certainly not niche. Um, it's important. It's, yeah, the, the Souls games and Bloodborne are selling, you know, in the millions of copies. Um, and, and also, like, they're coming out on a yearly schedule at this point. Um, so they're they're copying uh AAA games in that sense uh so it's it's harder to use that as an excuse i think certainly yeah and as you said with the patches uh filled i think from software is really good about never letting a game go for better or for worse uh if you look at just the sheer amount of changes that happened to dark souls 2 after its release just all of the patches all of the improvements all of the quality of life improvements that happen after release, I think the game is only going to get better for people uh, as the as the weeks go on. So I would be optimistic yeah. if you're worried about you know some of the nagging issues. I, I have a feeling that they they are they are really really good about getting on those and fixing them and responding to player feedback. Yeah, and it probably true. and it probably comes just part and parcel with a game that's as ambitious and as large as a game like Dark Souls. I mean, I mean, they're not quite the same thing, but just look at the difficulty Bethesda has putting out a large RPG um, with as good a graphics as, say, Fallout, um, and then avoiding bugs and that kind of thing. It's it's difficult, especially when you're on such a tight schedule. All right, let's talk about some of the changes that Dark Souls that have been made to Dark Souls this year. Uh, Dark Souls 3, one of the more interesting changes, they introduced weapon skills. Uh, I know that, Phil, you were pretty positive about it when we were uh, talking to each other at the Dark Souls 3 preview event a couple months back. Hadn't really had a chance to talk to Bob about it. Now that you guys have had a a chance to play a lot of Dark Souls 3, um, I think maybe uh, have finished it. What do you guys think? Like, does does the system hold up? Uh, Bob, what do you think? Well, I don't think they're necessary, and you can basically go the entire game without really realizing they're there or using them, but I think they're there for people who really want to experiment and really want to, uh, I don't know, be super super skilled at fighting. For me, I I don't really use them in enemy encounters. I'm a melee-focused build. I really only use those special attacks in boss fights when I have a clear, like, four to five second window of time to pull off a really good attack, and instead of doing, like, a forward and strong attack or a charge attack, I'll pull out one of those uh, special weapon arts. Uh, because it does a little more power than your strongest attack would, and it looks really cool, and it's just a really great way to do a lot of damage um, if you have the time to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel very similar. Um, I think I think it is a key that, for the most part, you don't need to use them. There is, I think, one boss encounter in the game where it's basically required, um, but aside from that, you don't need to use weapon arts if, you're, if it's not your thing. Yeah. Um, but I do think... 
where it improves on things, I mean, it just gives you more options, as as uh, Bob says, and that's that's awesome. That's what you want out of the mechanics of Dark Souls. Um, and I think on the PvP side, it's going to lead to some really interesting things. So as the oh yeah, as the, I'm terrified. Yeah, as the multiplayer and the PvP community builds for Dark Souls Three, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing videos of how people are implementing weapon arts uh, or weapon skills. I guess they're they're just called skills now. I don't remember. They've changed the name a few times, but I thought they just were called weapon arts. Yeah, I think weapon arts. Sure. Yeah, okay. um, I could be but, wrong. But I'm excited to see how the really good PvP players are implementing those into their their PvP routines. Um, I think it's going to lead to some really good, interesting fights. So it's kind of the high-level stuff, essentially. Like, you don't necessarily have to use it, but if you can, like, incorporate it into your into your style, I suppose, it can give you a, a considerable advantage, especially at the, in the PvP area. Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah, and Kat, some of the uh, weapon arts aren't attacks, they're like buffs. So if, if I was using an axe, for instance, and I don't really do that, I would probably have the buff on as, mu- as much as I could just for the sake of, you know, getting a, you know some extra attack power. So, And your shield matters as well. So there's a lot to think about with weapon arts. It's not just like I hit a different button or, or I do a different thing. It's, it's all about, it works in tandem with your shield. So it is, it is pretty complex if you want it to be. Yeah, could you kind of like explain the whole shield thing for people who oh aren't really familiar with it? Because I well, know that the relationship's pretty complex. I feel like I need a visual aid, a visual aid for this, but <laughs> we um, need a chart for our radio show, yeah, just so that everybody can follow along. I'll make it simple. So there's something in in Souls called a power stance, in which you hold a weapon, you hit a button to hold a weapon with two hands. You don't get to defend as well, but you get extra attack power. In order to do your weapon art skills, for the most part, you need to be in a power stance. But there are some shields that allow you to use your weapon arts without going into a power stance. So there are specialty shields that allow you to still still use a shield while using a weapon art. Hopefully that wasn't too complicated. And then and then there are some shields that have their own weapon arts, I should say. There are some shields where you have like a special ramming attack. So even shields um, have their own weapon arts in some cases. So again, it can get as complex as you want it to. Or you can ignore them entirely and just play it like Dark Souls 1 or 2. So uh, how do you feel about the, the way that it interacts with the shields? Is it like, do you feel like the give and take works? Oh yeah, I think it's very cool. In fact... Um, Earlier in the game, I, I sort of changed my shield, so if I wanted to use that weapon art, I could stick behind my shield, because even though Bloodborne made me a little more aggressive in general in Souls, I still like to have the safety of a shield if I need it. It's the, it's the combat that's always been kind of the secret sauce, I suppose, of, of Dark Souls. It's just, it just feels so good. It does. And <laughs> it, it feels like they've once again pretty much nailed it with Dark Souls 3. I mean, don't don't break what isn't already broken i suppose um i mean i think they've they've they've, uh the big change as as we've kind of already discussed with the weapon skills is just adding a little bit more complexity um and also learning just a little bit from bloodborne um it still feels like souls um you still can do sword and shield obviously but you are a little bit faster um and you are able to play a more um a more aggressive style i think easier and, and I feel like some of that comes over from Bloodborne. Oh, yeah. I really think they learned a lot from Bloodborne. In, in my writing about the game, I, I always like to emphasize that From really treats every game as a learning experience. And you can see the lessons they learned throughout time if you go v- revisit all of their games. And 
especially with Bloodborne, I think they drew a lot from because in Dark Souls 3, you drink your Estus, which is your healing item, like super fast. In previous games, you took your damn time with that thing, but they really wanted to make healing faster to make it so you weren't always running from enemies, doing all these tactical retreats. They wanted you to be up in enemies' faces a little more with this game, I think, if you're playing a melee character. So that's yeah, something I just I just noticed about uh, the Estus flasks. That's a, that's a really good observation, yeah, and, and something that I didn't even think about until you mentioned it now. You're, you're 100% right, and I think it's very fair to say that that's likely uh, taken from some degree to uh, t- from uh, Bloodborne. What other lessons do you think they've kind of learned from both Bloodborne and the rest of the series at large? Well, in the case of multiplayer, uh, they finally did something much smarter than they've been doing in the past. So if you wanted to play with people, you had to do all these weird equations like, what's my soul memory? And it's it's your level times 0.05 minus the amount of strength you have. I don't know. It's never, it's never been that complicated, but it was hard to just play with people. You had to be on a certain like same footing with them. But now, um, based on the research that I've seen um, done by a lot of great YouTubers, uh, apparently you can really pull anyone into your game as long as, as long as they're in the same area as you and their level scales to your level. So it's no longer a matter of like, oh, I'm too high of a level to pull anyone into this uh, area I, I screwed up or oh I'm too high of a level to play with my friends now you can play with your friends there's a password system just like in uh, Bloodborne so like I really think they want to make uh, multiplayer as accessible as ever and that goes down to the covenants you can now switch covenants on the fly it's just all trying to get people to get into that multiplayer stuff a lot easier yeah the covenant switching is huge I think that's going to be really really important for a lot of people um Another thing that I would mention as far as, like, stuff they've learned from Bloodborne, or at least stuff that seems heavily inspired by Bloodborne, um, there are a lot of areas in the game that really pull in that same sense of, like, almost, like, gothic horror beauty from Bloodborne. Um, in particular, in the later game, there's there are a couple of, like, sort of castle city areas. Um, one in particular I'm thinking of that's, like, in the moonlight that... Oh, that's very, my favorite. Oh, it's beautiful. It's it's a gorgeous area and gorgeous to like enter um, that first time, especially like you come across it on this bridge and there's there's a great sequence that I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But basically, uh, it a lot of the game, uh, a lot of the best points in the game for me in terms of the world design, really recalled Bloodborne and obviously well well maintaining the the lore and the uh, important parts of the atmosphere that make Dark Souls stand apart from Bloodborne um, but there were definite moments where I, I felt like oh this is this is like something that I would have played that I would have walked around in in Bloodborne it kind of uh, reminds me of the the painted world from uh, Dark Souls 1 if that helps you at all Kat I don't know if you reached that area um, I did but I, maybe some people in our audience haven't it's, um, like, a, it's like a dark gothic uh, Santa Claus village at night is what I would call it <laughs> That's actually a pretty good description right there. Yeah. Good job, Bob. You're a writer. In, in other in other uh, things they've added or drew from Bloodborne, I feel like there's a lot more danger in the game, and that comes down to even uh, invasions. With Dark Souls 2, I believe, they really wanted to make your first playthrough uh, a player invasion free for the most part. I, I, I think that was their... That was their, uh, their, their driving force with that first playthrough of Dark Souls 2. But with Dark Souls 3, I'm getting invaded a lot. Not enough to uh, disrupt what I'm trying to do, but enough that it keeps me on my toes, which I like. It really brings me back to Dark Souls 1 and Demon Souls, where that threat of invasion is still there. So you can't ever be too uh, careful. I mean, you can't ever be too uh, lax with what you're doing. Hmm, indeed. 
Let's talk a little bit bit more about the multiplayer. Uh, I found it interesting that so they introduced password protected games. If um, where you can essentially give out a password and people can come in, is that right? Could you explain that a little bit more, Bob? Uh, yeah, that was in Bloodborne actually. Uh, okay. I think Bloodborne had four numbers, uh, and your friends would have four numbers. It, it didn't work really well, but I only tried it in the beginning of the uh, towards the beginning of the release, and I'm pretty sure they they might have improved on that later. But uh, for Dark Souls Three, it's just a it's a just a typed out password, and uh, if all of your friends put it in, uh, then you should be able to play with them. Uh, Dark Souls Two had a much worse version of that. It was a ring that you bought, and you aligned yourself to a certain god uh, on that ring, and then your friends would have to align themselves to that god as well. So it was a much looser version of that system. But I think a password is the right way to go uh, if you're if you're trying to play specifically with people you know. I always found it charming back in the days of the original Dark Souls that that was difficult to impossible to actually play with friends because I was like, I mean, because I always thought of it as a single player game. I mean, yes, there were co-op elements and you could draw people into your world, but it was a game that was kind of fundamentally solitary. So I res- kind of respected it as a valid creative choice to not make it super easy to dragging your friends because I thought that that atmosphere of loneliness was really important but it seems like they're going away from that a little bit would you say I think so I mean it is um they have to be realistic and understand how people play games now and for as much as I enjoy Dark Souls 1 and its multiplayer where you never really talk to anybody, everyone you meet is just a just a mysterious stranger who could turn on you, it really did work out. Uh, but then in Dark Souls 2 and 3, when I started playing those games with my friends and Bloodborne, I kind of wanted to chat with them and have fun with them and, you know, go, uh, go on Skype and play through the game. So... Um, there's, there's a, I mean, each, each approach has its own strengths, I think, but I, I really think in order to be realistic and relevant, uh, you know, letting people play with each other is a good move. It's been a persistent kind of drumbeat from the community, I feel like. And not only that, the Dark Souls community has gotten just so big and so vibrant and so, I don't know, vocal that it seems counterproductive to not have something like this. What do you think? What do you think, Phil? Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, I think um, I have to imagine that internally at From Software, they're just looking at the way that people are playing their game, and they've had multiple games now where they've tried to push them in a certain direction uh, or or to play a certain way, and it just hasn't worked. And at some point, they've got to look at that and just be like, well, whatever our own goals, this is the way that people want to play this type of game. Let's, Let's start, you know changing the design a little bit to to work with that indeed all right so let's move on to the actual kind of world design one of the first things that i've heard about dark souls 3 is that it's probably the most what was it people were saying the most linear maybe dark souls 3 to date or should i say uh, people complained a lot about uh, having to go back to the hub, as it were, in Dark Souls 2 a lot. And it seems like they might have doubled down on that in Dark Souls 3. What's kind of your take on that, Phil? Uh, yeah, I mean, one of one of my major uh, complaints with the game, in my review, is, is kind of the linear nature of Dark Souls 3. Um, and in specific, it's not necessarily that... I think what a lot of people didn't like about Dark Souls 2... Uh, is that 
the world didn't quite wrap in around on itself in the way it does with Dark Souls 1. In the first Dark Souls, every area kind of leads back to every other area in, in like, this string of elaborate secret passages and stuff. Uh, in Dark Souls 2, it was kind of more like a central hub area, and then it spoked out into, like, two or three areas, and then spoked out further, um, and they didn't all kind of wrap in on each other. Um, in Dark Souls 3, it's it's even less complicated. It's kind of like a straight line from beginning to end with a couple of uh, spots where the path splits. Um, and, and for me, I found myself kind of disappointed with how little exploration I had to do to find my way through the world. Um, even areas where I would go off in a new direction, uh, more often than not, that, that new direction would just like go a couple of feet and I would get an item and it would be done. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't enough, uh, complexity to the actual level design. I felt kind of disappointed in that because the level design and the exploring of these worlds is really, uh, for, for me personally, the thing that pulls me through the game the most. Uh, well, I, I'm not sure if, okay. So with every souls game in bloodborne, I did miss like an entire huge vital area that kept me from like getting to where I wanted to go in the game. So I can't say, uh, I found it entirely linear, but I'm not sure if, uh, if Phil and I are, are finding our way so quickly just because we've sort of figured out, uh, the soul series, you know, just like where, where they're sure. kind of leading us and where they want us to go. Maybe if this is our first game, it would, it would be more exhilarating, but I, I am finding the areas pretty open and pretty fun to explore. I do agree that um, there's not as many branching pathways, but I wouldn't be surprised if in a few months we see a speedrunner doing something crazy, going in reverse order or going in some order we never thought possible. Because I mean, like, if I you mean, we definitely. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much you've paid attention to the speedrunning stuff with this already, but like, there's already. I've been trying been not some, to spoil myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's already been some wild stuff with people on the Japanese version, like finishing the game in under an hour already wow. which is like what are you doing <laughs> yeah i mean i watched a dark souls one speed run where they i think they beat the bosses in reverse order or at least the best they could or something similarly uh insane and, and if i imagine there's a way to do something as as crazy in dark souls 3 it just it just needs to be discovered and it's not for me to discover either but i do agree the linearity uh might be a bit of an issue but i did really enjoy dark souls 2 and some people consider that sacrilege because it, apparently it's a bad game and no one told me. But um, I, I love just Souls in- too as well, so I'm with you. Yeah, I, I just enjoy these areas. Um, and if one connects to the other, and and I don't really have a choice, that's fine because just being in those areas and exploring them is good enough for me. And I like these areas are just so beautiful. <laughs> and even when reusing ideas, they find a new twist that really works. And I'm I've just been so impressed by just the worlds they've created within Dark Souls Three. Uh, and I will say, I think I think it is important to point out, uh, despite my complaints, there are there are three three that I know of, and and it's possible more will be discovered because it is a Souls game, but there are three major hidden areas uh, in the game that are like really really cleverly hidden um, to the degree that to the point where I'm I'm kind of surprised I found them on my first run. Um, I think I only did. For exactly the reason you're saying, Bob, that that I've played so much of the series that I know to kind of look for this stuff, um, and they actually lead to like full optional like zones with optional bosses, um, which is pretty cool. I kind of hope I miss at least one of them because the most exciting thing about finishing Bloodborne is learning that I totally missed Kanehurst Castle. 
So just playing oh, it again, oh, I was like, there's an entire level that I haven't seen yet. I can't wait to see it. Like, I, hope I, I honestly hope level. I miss something. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's my favorite. <laughs> Let's go through a few favorites. Um, I'm curious, what classes, what class did you two play? I believe I'm a warrior, but I'm really just kind of like a strength uh, strength build. Yeah, I started out as knight, I think, as the starting class, but but same. I, I sort of focused on strength um, with a little bit of dexterity and a lot in uh, in vitality and endurance. Is it endurance? Is endurance the one that increases your stamina? I like think I said, it's endurance. So many stats. Yeah, it's endurance. Yeah, so many stats. What weapons did you use, Phil? What, what what's you, what's your weapon? Uh, so I I like Bob. I'm a, kind of a souls purist when it comes to using a sword and shield. Um, so I mostly stuck stuck with the sword and shield throughout the game. Uh, for for a few points, I tried out a um, a spear and got a lot of use out of that. Um, I wanted to mess around with Halberd, but didn't get a lot of chance. But in the uh, in the PC version, I'm doing actually a, a no shields run to kind of force myself out of my comfort zone. Uh, so I'm using much bigger weapons than that, like two hand swords and and giant axes and stuff. I like two handed swords, but I've always felt like it was a bad idea to use them in Dark Souls because, mm-hmm. I mean, they make you slow, and they also uh, they. Shields have always been so fundamental to Dark Souls, at least until Dark Souls 3, um, that it felt like a terrible idea to uh, kind of dispense with them, at least at least in the early part of the game. So I've kind of just gotten used to using a sword and shield combo. Uh, Bob, what about you? What's your weapon? Well, I, I started with a just a broadsword and a uh, kite shield just because of the, those are the first weapons that seemed appropriate. But then I, I started getting a little more experimental. Like I said, Bloodborne has made me a more aggressive player, uh, more prone to get in enemies' faces and, you know, I guess I guess be a little more brave. So now I'm using uh, just basically light armor. I think I have, like, pyromancy armor or something like that. And uh, I'm using a twin dragon great shield and this uh, this awesome, just gigantic mace I got from a boss's soul that has this great like particle like ice effect on the tip. Uh, it's huge and it makes the most satisfying sound when you crush enemies with it. So I'm oh, having I a gotta, lot of fun with that. That's a good point to mention. The uh, the weapons that you can get from bossles in this game, I think, are on a completely different level than the previous games. They're they are so cool looking, so interesting. A lot of them have very have like really cool special effects or or really cool unique uh, weapon arts. Um, it's really, really worth taking those boss souls and uh, and turning them into weapons. And also, it's easier to do in this game than any. Like, there isn't any special. There, there is an NPC who does it, but it's it's not one who you need to really hunt down or or search really hard for. Yeah, he's kind of always just sitting around. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite area, Bob? Oh, uh, I should have came with this written down, but uh, it, this might be Phil's as well. It's it's that uh, it's that snowy moonlit area that's just like just like starkly beautiful, and um, I think it's called Irithil or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's it has a very soulsy name, but that that's a great place. Uh, I I really love the atmosphere. It does it does remind me a bit of Canehurst Castle from Bloodborne, which is why I like it. I just I just like uh, like a snowy area done well, and. Um, 
It is, uh, I, I was just thinking, like, having played Dark Souls 3, up to a point I was like, is there going to be any, like, beauty in this game? So I was really happy when I saw just, like, a very beautiful area. I mean, things before were, were well rendered, but they were just, you know, made to be ugly. But this is just a very beautiful, like, stunning, pristine world. And I, and I love it. I just want to point out that all three of us come from either the north or the midwest kind of area. So yeah. we all grew up with snow. I really miss snow. That could be why I'm drawn to snow snow levels. Like, oh, I, I remember that. I definitely don't miss snow. But I love snow in video games because then I don't actually feel the cold. Oh, I, I can yeah. just enjoy the stark beauty of it all. I don't miss dealing with it. I, I just miss the presence. Absolutely. Um, so think, it sounds like you guys both like the same area. Yeah, I think that was probably my favorite area, just just for for how gorgeous it was. Um, my one of my big disappointments with Dark Souls Three is that I felt like every area in the game had kind of been done before. Um, like there wasn't anything totally unique. Um, and obviously, I expect a little bit in going into a game like this, uh, a little bit or even quite a bit of repeated ground. But in this case, I just didn't. Nothing really struck me as as totally original to the series. Um, but that said, this this area is um, is just really, really beautiful. And and again, the way that they introduce it, I think, is a, a high note for the game at the very least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I generally agree with you, Phil. We're now far enough into the series that you can see some definite tropes emerging. Mm-hmm. One of them being you know the high castle wall you know with the with the skeletons or whatever and then another one is the swamp as you mentioned in your review and another one is the kind of the starkly beautiful area that contrasts really nicely with the kind of grayer and stonier outcrops and obviously like every that's not to say that every dark souls game slash bloodboard game is the same but I think one of the reasons that Bloodborne was such a breath of fresh air was because it had that really distinct look, that gothic horror look. And it really kind of broke up um, the general look of Dark Souls 1 and 2. So going back to Dark Souls 3, you, you can start to sense like the visual tropes are just a lot more apparent. And for me, at least, when I was playing it, it started to feel a little samey and I was a little disappointed by that. Uh, what's your take on that, Bob? I, I disagree. I think that uh, in in reusing ideas, they do enough new with the idea to justify it. And the things that they don't do, uh, I think, are there for players of the old games to kind of smile at. Like, there is the crypt area full of, like, hilarious skeletons. And if that wasn't in the game, I'd be mad because I think uh, the Souls series really knows how to, ha- how to have fun with skeletons because they, they realize that is a ridiculous enemy to fight. So if there was no crypt and no skeletons, I'd be sad. But I feel like each each take on an old level is different enough and changes just enough to put you off your guard. And I always love seeing old enemies done in a different way and usually a better way in Dark Souls 3. I think they've really improved on enemy types. Like the, um, to bring up skeletons again, those those skeleton wheel enemies are back, but I think they're done much better this time. They have Those suicide bomber enemies are back, but I think, again, they're done much better this time. So I think they they reuse these ideas because they're like, we'll do it better this time. So I feel like, um, in, my, in my opinion, it is justified reusing some of this stuff. Dark Souls, fun with skeletons, coming to a PlayStation 4 near you in 2018. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Favorite boss battle. Phil. Uh, so my favorite boss battle is uh, 
actually a hidden boss battle. Um, I think so. The end game for Dark Souls Three has some of the hardest, some of the most difficult, and <laughs> and I think most satisfying boss battles in the whole series. Um, they just do some really good, really challenging stuff. Uh, and one of them that I think is probably the hardest, or at least was the hardest for me, uh, is the Nameless King, um, who is in a uh, one of the hidden areas. I won't spoil the name of the hidden area because that's something that I think people would be upset about. Uh, but the Nameless King is basically this this boss. He's been shown in in one or two of the gameplay trailers, but he flies into the the boss arena on this giant bird dragon creature um and he the the bird dragon creature is flying around trying to hit you and you have to take you essentially have to take that bird down first and then take down the nameless king the nameless king basically sits on top of the bird uh swiping at you with like a spear and then like throwing bolts of lightning at you it's like you're fighting zeus basically um, it's it's a really cool uh, and very original boss fight, something that they haven't uh, haven't done before. As for me, uh, I probably would change my answer like weekly because I'm just reflecting like, oh, I like that one. No, I like this one. I like um, one of the earlier bosses is a, is an optional boss. I think it's called the Rotted Greatwood or something like that. It's a yeah. it's this giant tree. It's just this gargantuan tree. And it's sort of like a Shadow of the Colossus, but without the whole climbing ability, because you have to um, target certain parts on its body in order to uh, attack it effectively. Uh, otherwise, you won't do damage to it. So it's easy to get the, uh, the the targets on its belly, but when you have to start attacking its hands and feet, it's a lot more difficult. And I had a really, really fun time fighting that boss. Just and a then, visually, um, very visually impressive boss as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it was it was great to fight. Just like this huge, huge presence. Um, and I would say probably the Abyss Watchers would be my second favorite. It is this uh, boss fight that's that um, it turns from like a sort of chaotic fight in which you're fighting one enemy, but then more start rising and fighting amongst themselves and fighting you. And then it's a two-part fight where you later fight a duel with a souped-up version of one of the enemies you fought in the first part. And um, that was really tough, and I think the duel bosses are always the, the hardest bosses in Souls games, and, and, and finishing them just feels so satisfying. So I have to say, probably the Abyss Watchers and that tree for now, but check back with me next week and I'll have a different answer. Those are both really good choices. I, I, I will throw out here, just again, whatever my, uh, my issues with Dark Souls 3, I do think the boss battles throughout the game um, there's certainly not as many as Dark Souls 2, um, but I think that's for good reason. They've really focused on making them stand out and really making them uh, very challenging and very interesting. I mean, the boss battles are part of the appeal of Dark Souls, I've always mm-hmm. felt. I mean, there's no accident that the first thing that they showed when they were showing Dark Souls 3 last year was a boss. Because the, dar- the bosses are always big, they're impressive, Um they are scary. Um, they really highlight that feeling of David versus Goliath. And in the case of Dark Souls 3, like uh, we were talking earlier about blood lessons learned from Bloodborne. And another example, I suppose, would be bosses taking extra forms um, once you like get get their health halfway down, um, changing things up on the fly, forcing you to adapt and react. Uh, that was something that I noticed even early on in Dark Souls 3. So uh, more lessons learned, I suppose. All right. And I suppose the last question I would ask is, hardest boss? Uh, well, I, I already said Nameless King. Uh, 
But I will also throw in the the final boss of the game, again, whose name I will not ruin, but uh, is is a really it's another uh, like sort of one on one duel type encounter, um, which is fairly traditional for the series, and it's very challenging. Uh, I I died a lot on that one. Yeah, I have to agree. I think this game has done a great job with bosses, and uh, for once, the the final boss is not a pushover. I feel like um, Dark. I mean, Dark Souls one and two, their their final bosses weren't easy, but I feel like it should have been much harder than it was for me. Uh, so it was a little anticlimactic to be like, "That's it." But uh, again, Dark Souls three, they really are doubling down on bosses, not the amount, but the quality, and um, they're all very, very satisfying. I have not run into one that where I was like, "Uh, really? That that was a boss fight?" It just they've they've all been very good. So. Really quickly, a question from somebody on Twitter. They wanted to know, at Pixel Faded wanted to know, how do you feel about the spell mechanics? It seems that they've hardly adjusted to the new faster pace of Dark Souls 3. What's your opinion on that, Phil? I actually, so I haven't messed around with spells much, to be clear. Um, I, I generally just don't use a ton of spells in Souls games. Uh, not since not since Demon Souls, at least. Um, but also... Uh, yeah, it's certainly not my first playthrough. Like, it, it might be something I get back to. But what I will say is, from watching other people play, and also from talking to uh, other friends who are playing who are using spells, um, my understanding is that that's actually not the case, that, that spells are actually very good in this one. Um, there's more spells than ever. There's a lot of options. Um, a lot of the new spells that have been added are very powerful. And honestly, the biggest thing... Uh, so the addition of weapon skills means there's a new system called Focus, which is like a, a blue bar that would, I think in a traditional RPG, be called uh, like MP or Mana. Um, and and the series hasn't had that for a long time. But that means that uh, where Dark Souls 1 and 2, you had a set number of times you could use every spell before you had to rest at a bonfire. Now, now that is entirely based around your focus, um, which means... Potentially, um, especially if you have items that can regenerate your focus, or if you have, say, a ring equipped that regenerates it, um, you could you can use your spells a lot more often. Um, you're you're no longer limited in that way. Another user on Twitter wants to know what's your covenants. Oh, I'm I'm a sunbro, sunbro till I die. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I saw the the person on Twitter say sunbro for life, and that's that's me as well. As soon as I unlock the sunbros, I switch over to the sunbros, and I I don't really leave. You get it pretty early in Dark Souls 3. It feels like you almost get it immediately. <laughs> they kind of know that uh, that's a popular thing for players, I think. When I was playing the original Dark Souls, I played as the Princess's Guard. Just because, I don't know. Um, I ran, You encounter Guinevere like after... Um, God, I don't remember. The, the, the two bosses. The two really freaking hard bosses. I wish I remembered their name, but... Um, and then I joined Ornstein her covenant. Is that Ornstein who that was? Smo, yeah. Yeah, those two. And then I just kind of never went back. But I hadn't played. I never got around to playing Dark Souls too, so I wasn't sure if that particular covenant ended up coming back. The covenants are pretty much the same, right? I think with each game, they find a way to make them work better. Like with Dark Souls One, I think relatively half of the covenants were kind of functionless because the multiplayer was so broken. 
Uh, in Dark Souls 2, they were made a lot better. Uh, in Dark Souls 3, I think they, things are just further refined because, again, they are trying to make the multiplayer as accessible as possible. You no longer have to align yourself uh, in a certain way to get the certain kind of person you need to fight or to team up with. Uh, I've only encountered maybe like four, I mean, I've only uncovered four or five of the covenants so far. So, um, I, and I really only stuck with Sunbros for now. So, um, but there is kind of the equivalent of all of the good ones from Dark Souls 2 so far. All right. And so I guess the last question I'm going to ask is, what do you think of the lore? Like, are you guys invested in the lore? And how do you feel like Dark Souls 3 kind of resolves things, if it does at all? So it's funny for me because I, I would say I started the series not really caring, uh, and then Dark Souls 2 kind of pulled me in a little bit more than Dark Souls 1 had uh, in terms of the lore and the story. And then Dark Souls 3, I was fully invested. Um, and they do some really very interesting stuff lore-wise. Um, you know, they've, they've kind of hinted at this being the last game. Whether or not that's actually true, we'll see. But um, certainly in the story, I think they set it up in a way that makes it believable that this could be the ending. Um, and, and there's just some, some really fascinating ways that they tie it back to events from the first end of the second game. Is it spoilery to say what the way they do tie those things back? Incredibly spoilery. Yeah, he, should, he really shouldn't on this podcast. All right. I, I'm, I'm like Phil. Uh, I, I didn't care about the lore going into it. I thought it was cool that the story wasn't shoved down my throat and I could approach it as I saw fit and make my own sense of it. But then I got started getting into lore videos and all that stuff. And, and now when I'm playing through Dark Souls 3, when an enemy, when enemy, sorry, when an enemy drops something, I'll immediately read the description and be like, oh, so that's why that enemy is here. And oh, the, yeah. so that's why this. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Phil. Sorry. I'm just saying immediately. That's that's totally the same for me. And it's not something that I, I used to do. It's It's so weird to like. Uh, I had people uh, like my fiance was watching me play, and she's like, "Why are you pausing every every time you finish a fight and pick something up to like read? What is going on?" <laughs> it's great though because you can you can opt out of the story, which is like I wish that was true for a lot of games. And just for example, like uh, there's this this great enemy called the um, I forget what she's called, but it's like a female version of the fat officials from Demon Souls, like these very corpulent. Uh, female yeah. sorcer- sorcerer says they laugh at you. I'm just like, what are they doing here? Like, they're amongst all these, like, weird, like, guys in hoods. So I, I immediately had to look at her armor and see, like, oh, so that's what this area is. So, like, even, like, something as small as, like, a, a piece of enemy equipment can put a lot of the pieces together, which I love about this game. Yeah, that was one of the things that kind of stood out to me about Dark Souls 3 immediately was when I was going to, when I went to the preview event um, a couple months ago, was the number of people who are suddenly experts on Dark Souls lore to the extent of even like writing books about it, which like I had not seen to that point. Like, I guess the like the Dark Souls story had kind of stayed in the background, but with Dark Souls 3, it very much seemed to have come to the forefront and your comments kind of reflect that. So I think the important uh, thing too is, uh, or, or the, the thing that I appreciate is it has come to the forefront more or less completely out of fan interest and and not out of the game in any of uh, any of the forms in Dark Souls 1 2 or 3 not out of them you know suddenly changing the way that they approach story and shoving it down your throat more it's not because there's more cutscenes it's not because there's like a ton of dialogue or something that wasn't there previously it's it's 
still presented in the exact same way it always has been in that very subtle like you kind of have to dig for it um but but fans just care enough speaking of fans caring i guess that would be moving on to our final thoughts around dark souls 3 i suppose what i'm kind of wondering is in your minds is dark souls 3 a success at what it's attempting to do and do you think that it the series will be able to maintain its momentum into next year when we get inevitably probably bloodborne 2 yeah, I mean, I, I gave it the high, my highest score possible, a f- 5 out of 5. So I feel like it definitely was successful. And I feel like, again, I keep stressing this. I've said it a billion times. From software, uh, they learn from what they've done before. They like to build off of what they've done before. And that is evident in their games. And with so many other series, I will give up because I'm like, oh, I'm just playing the same game with all the same problems. You don't care, so I don't care. But they care so much that like I just want to see what they do next. So I'm on board for any I'm on blood for sorry on a, I'm on blood. I'm on board for Bloodborne 5 whatever. Just give me more of these RPGs. Um I will say so last year we did a podcast when Bloodborne came out. Um and and I think Bob and I both said something very similar which was you know, I'm I'm okay with them being on this yearly schedule as long as the quality maintains. Um I again, I do, I do not think Dark Souls 3 is a bad game. Um I think once, you know, if and when these tech issues are resolved, my score will likely go up from higher than a 7 to something something else. Uh, but I do... Uh, this is the first game that I've played from from since they started going on a, uh, a yearly schedule where I kind of want them to take a little bit of a break. I would kind of be okay with if, if Bloodborne 2 or whatever is next is like fall of next year instead of spring. Um, oh, I totally agree with you, Phil. The year after. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's, it's, I, I do still have a lot of faith in from, and I, I, you know, there's no doubt that I'm going to keep playing whatever, but I think they would benefit from having just a little bit more time to, to polish. Um, and I, this is totally my own sneaking suspicion. This isn't any sort of like actual knowledge that I have from speaking to anybody, but my, my gut instinct is that, Dark Souls 3 will not be the final Dark Souls, but it might be the final Dark Souls that From Software makes. Mm. Um, and that From, now that they've got this presumably much better deal with Sony, um, that they'll kind of go and focus on that, focus on creating some new things beyond that, um, and and move on from their relationship with, with Namco, uh, which I hope the the side effect of that is that they might have a little bit more time to work on things as well. Oh yeah, I'm totally down with that, Phil. Like my above all, I'm happy with Bloodborne. I'm happy with Dark Souls three, and I want more games. But I really need uh, Hidetaka Miyazaki to take a goddamn vacation because that guy has got to be nearly dead by now. It's not going to happen, games. Phil. It's not going to happen. It's going to work gonna until happen? he's burnt. He's not going to take a vacation. <laughs> he's going to keep on working. Someone give that man a vacation. That's all I'm saying. That's my plea to the Japanese game industry. I don't know if he wants to take a vacation. I I think he did, he's earned it. <laughs> but but we'll see. This is going to sound a little harsh, but in my mind, I kind of feel like the only thing separating the Soulsborne series from, say, Assassin's Creed is that the formula is strong enough to bear up against uh, being put out each year. I mean, it's such it's so fundamentally strong, and then the design is so strong, and the well, challenge is so strong, and the community is so passionate that... 
It doesn't even seem to necessarily bother them that maybe Dark Souls 3 in particular has gotten a, the tiniest bit formulaic because they just want more and I think give me more. I, w- I was thinking about this exact thing that you're mentioning. You know, what, what separates this from, you know, AAA franchise that's coming out every year? Um, and And certainly when you get into something like Assassin's Creed, I think one of the big differences um, and something that I appreciate about from Software's work so much is... I feel like these Souls games and Bloodborne make a really strong argument for for uh, designed worlds, for worlds where everything is handcrafted. Um, it is not uh, there, there's nothing that's just like made with a formula in a computer, right? There's nothing that's really like just repeated endlessly or randomly. Um, yeah, if you if you want to see that what that looks like, play the Chalice Dungeons and Bloodborne because that would that shows like oh this is what ha- this is what would happen if From wasn't trying very hard. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think from a different developer with with very different goals from From Software, uh, those Chalice Dungeons would have been their own standalone game. Oh, for sure, yeah, um, and and you know like mechanically it's the same. Uh, it would have it would have still felt good. I'm sure, like a lot of people would have still liked it. Um, but I I do really appreciate that they are a developer that is focused on on really handcrafting these these worlds. Um, even you know even when I feel like they fall a little bit shorter than I had wished. Yeah, and I'm sure that I'm sure there's some reused geometry. Uh, obviously, there has to be. But I feel like just the specificity of the places I'm in, just how like oh that ledge is crumbling, so I can see parts of it below, and everything just it just feels like uh, uh, everything just feels so real. It's not just like you again, you feel you said it's not like just like a cookie cutter, like a template. Like everything feels so designed, mm-hmm. and that's something that does not exist in these in these very by the numbers uh, annualized games for the most part. All right, Bob and Phil, you can find your reviews on US Gamer and Polygon, respectively. And if you want to hear more Dark Souls 3 commentary, look for you guys over on Twitter. Um, Bob, you're Bob Servo, uh, or Disreputable Bogman right now. That's and me. <laughs> that's you. And Phil, you're Peakholer. Yes. So, and you can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot complaining about the Minnesota Wild because they're starting playoffs in a couple days. Uh, and sometimes I talk about video games as well. So anyway, Phil, thanks for coming on the show. Do you have anything else that you want to plug? Uh, no, I have, I have big news coming that I'll be able to plug, but I can't talk about it yet. Oh, that's really exciting. I can't just, wait to hear your watch big my, news. Watch my Twitter on Friday, let's say. Hmm. Ooh, sounds cool. Secrets. How about you, Bob? Uh, yeah, just uh, just Talking Simpsons, my chronological Simpsons podcast. It's on the LaserTime Network, lasertimepodcast.com, or search for Talking Simpsons in your podcast device. That's you it. just did an episode about the, the debut of Fat Tony, the one where Bart's in the Witness Protection Program, right? Oh, yeah. If, if you listen this week, you can hear Bart the Murderer, which is a great episode. <laughs> Crime doesn't pay, and then <laughs> they all get into their limousines and drive off. All right. Anyway, so Acts of the Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts can be found. I think we're on iHeartRadio now. Um, At least I got a confirmation email, uh, but I haven't been able to see it. Thanks for bearing with me while I was on vacation last week, by the way. Um, I should be back on a regular schedule from now until E3, uh, barring any significant developments. 
Next week, I'm going to try and have Nadia on the show, and we're going to talk about Bravely Second, which comes out tomorrow, or I suppose uh, yesterday, as this podcast is posted. But in any case, look forward to that. Um, I personally am looking forward to playing Bravely Second. Though, while I was on my vacation, I got sucked back into Persona Q Uh in my ongoing... In back in my ongoing quest to actually finish that game, it's been a year and a half at this point, but I can definitely say that I have the Persona 3 characters in my party now. <laughs> so I've gotten that far at least, but I only ever seem to play that game when I'm traveling, but it's kind of sucked me back in a little bit, so it's going to distract me from Bravely Second. In any case, I think uh, I'm looking forward to giving the Bravely series a second chance because Bravely Default wasn't my favorite. In any case, look forward to that next week. Bob, thanks for coming on the show. Phil, no thanks for coming on the show. Thank and you. until next time, I've been Cat Bailey. Happy adventuring.